Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. My name's Laura Dorrant, and today we're going to be hearing the second part of our reflections on COP26 from the people who were there. Next, we're going to hear from Ivan Bio, an independent consultant who not only helped nourish develop the fork to farm process, but who also facilitated a local dialogue in the Scottish borders. Good morning, Ivan. How are you? Hi, 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 Laura. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for partaking in this. Um, could you start by briefly introducing yourself, please? Sure. Um, so my name is uh, Ivan Bio. Uh, I'm a, an independent consultant. Um, I advise uh, people, clients on matters related to agriculture, uh, forestry and climate change um, with, with a particular focus on, on developing countries. Um, the, the last two years, um, I've helped Nourish Scotland uh, develop its fork to farm dialogue process, both globally and locally. And as part of this, um, I've facilitated a local uh, fork to farm dialogue in the Scottish borders. Well, that's that's really that's really interesting. I didn't actually think I knew you about that before. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And so you actually went and participated in person at the COP. Would you please tell me um, about your experience in terms of uh, what you experienced that left you feeling outraged and what's your experience that at the COP that left you feeling optimistic? Okay. So um, things that made me feel... Um, negative um, and and somewhat despairing, really. A, cu- a couple of things, really, at, at the COP. The, f- the first one is is the, the general atmosphere of bickering. This is still a process where nation states are um, very much into national posturing and protecting of national interests. There isn't yet really, after all those years, um, a real international commitment. There isn't a real international process there. There isn't really a process where our politicians um, are actually taking responsibility of the global public good. What our politicians are doing at the COP is still very much protecting their own interests. In terms of rich countries, this is very much a process of um, trying to, 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 to get away with as limited greenhouse gas emission reductions as they possibly can get away with, and also in, in sharing as little resources with developing countries um, uh, as, as they can get away within this process. For developing countries, it is very much a game of trying to lay their hands on as much money that they can extract from uh, developed countries in this process. And I find this really sad that this this bickering is still ongoing and it is very much reflected still in in the current process. and i'll get I'll get back to this late, late, later on. the The other thing that made me very sad still um, uh, in the process is that now now that scientists have realized that we are not going to be able to keep, uh, the the world from heating over and above one and a half degree by by 2100 uh, just by reducing the emissions from fossil fuels they are suddenly um, starting to look at how we can help in land use how we can help in agriculture 
how we can help uh, with with natural emissions of of natural greenhouse gas emissions. And while a lot of this is actually quite could potentially be quite positive, they're not really engaging with local farmers and with local communities. Um, and they are risking in pushing for this. They are risking to get everybody's backs up, um, and at the end of the day, not getting the response that they're actually required in order to achieve that. So these are things that make me still feel very sad and and fairly negative about about the COP. But then on the other hand, there's a couple of things that make me very positive about the COP. Um, and and I must I must also add that on balance I feel very positive, and the two positive things are to do first of all globally Glasgow will I think will will be recorded in history as the moment where the people came to the COP. It was very very obvious that there is a there's a, a huge mass of people out there who have participated either in person or virtually in processes before and during the COP where they are putting pressure on politicians to to actually be much bolder in in their commitments. Um, And this involves people who are very angry, like like people from XR and and, uh, developing country communities, but also people who are actually very positive and, and, and there I use the word, fairly joyous about this. Um, climate change is is one of these topics that brings people together. Despite what politicians do, the people of the world have actually come to realize that this is something that we need to do and we need to do together. And there's very, very strong pressure for, um, uh, for, for us to commit much more boldly in this space. Um, and this is, of course, very important because at the end of the day, it's people who are polluting. Um, and and so that makes me feel very positive. And the second thing I, I that made me very positive with the COP, um, uh, with this COP, is the fact that we we used it in the Scottish Borders to engage in a conversation with local farmers and the local council. And while a lot of this is still very incipient, uh, fairly embryonic in 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 in, uh, in in its kind of long term process. Uh, there are some positive outcomes already that have come out of that. And it was really great to be able to take a small party of people to the COP uh, from the Scottish borders. That's great, Ivan. Thank you so much. Um, Those are really, really poignant points you've made. And um, from my other conversations, yes, community is what is making, is what is bringing the optimism. Yeah, I think that's what's, I, I think that what we're seeing, Laura, is that we're we're moving from a focus on the political process, which which has reached the stage where it can't really go much further than what it what yeah. what it has achieved so far. But the focus is shifting from them to action, and Absolutely. that 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 is that is actually quite beautiful to see. Yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely. Thank you. So let's let's move on. So now the COP has passed. A lot of work went into it. You obviously were involved. You've been involved for a long time in the process. And um, and so we've had these dialogues and the, the event has happened for better or for worse. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're back in your, your local region and with your own work and your local community. And how, how are you feeling now? Has anything shifted? Um, how are you feeling in terms of that that? 
frustration and and that um that optimism um i yeah i i i must say i'm i'm still a bit brain dead really um because <laughs> with, with um uh, with nourish we we focused a lot of energy on on this process as as you said i've been involved in this for a long time i've i've, I've even been involved in this process as a as an official um, uh, when when I was still a civil servant with the Westminster government um, and participated in the negotiations, so 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 I must say we the last two years have been very busy. Um, we focused on on um, bringing the voice of farmers to to the COP, um, and it's it's been hard work, uh, very rewarding. Um, but uh, I, I must say I'm still a little bit brain dead. Um, now having said that, in in terms of um, the kind of post-COP future uh, future actions, uh, again, using the same kind of dichotomy about um, uh, negative and positive. Um, the things that make me feel worried, um, again, there's a couple of things, really. One of them is globally. Um, climate change at the end of the day is, is, a, is a global phenomenon, and it does require the global community to come together. But the atmosphere for global cooperation is is not good. Um, it's been eroding uh, quite rapidly over the last five to ten years, um, uh, and and it continues to to erode. Um, the language we hear uh, from from our national politicians is, as I explained before, remains one of national posturing, and the the the, the trend is is not. Um, uh, one of a return to an international and global consensus. On the contrary, there, there is a uh, there is a feeling that we are kind of falling back into nineteenth century um, nationalistic and tri- tribal uh, politics. Um, and globally, this this is not good. Um, it, it creates the wrong atmosphere for us to look for common solutions. Um, so that's that's one thing that makes me feel worried about the future. Um, the other thing is perhaps a bit more locally in terms of the, the local processes. One, one of the challenges we, we face is that in, in promoting dialogue and looking for consensus um, and, and uh, a consensus on action to scale in, for instance, rural activities and farming and land use, for instance, in a place like the Scottish borders, what you do find is that the, the 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 community is organized in in fairly entrenched groups with with very well defined um but but also uncompromising positions um and it's it's very hard to transcend the boundaries of these 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 tribal groups and here i'm i'm talking about for instance um uh conventional farmers or high technology farmers large scale farmers on the one hand and then on the other hand, a small scale organic crofter type agriculture, um, and then green groups of consumers versus um, uh, what we kind of commonly refer to here in, in the region as conventional shoppers. So this, this, this kind of entrenchment in, in, in positions um, and the, 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 the challenges we all feel in in um, talking to other groups and respecting other groups and opening up and listening to other groups um, 
this stands in the way um, <clears throat> for for us to find um, solutions to scale, really. So these are these are challenges that we that we're dealing with, um, and to some extent they related uh, both the the local and the, and the global one. Um, uh, hence, of course, the importance of of uh, of the fork to farm dialogues. Now, the reason why I'm optimistic is that the work that we've done over the last couple of years, both locally but also then what we managed to do in Glasgow, has opened up some doors um, here in the Scottish borders. First of all, it's opened the door with the council. Um, this is quite important um, because the council is an important player in the region. Um, uh, they set policy, but they're also a procurer of food. Um, so they set quite a big trend in the region in terms of where food could potentially go to. Um, and we've we've opened the door uh, with them and, and we've started the dialogue with them. And this this is important. The second one is that we have a, we have a good dialogue with a number of farmers and a, and, and a number of consumer groups. Um, and some of those people have actually proactively come back to us to take this conversation, not only the conversation further, but actually to take action, both in terms of carbon accounting for their farms, but also in looking for business opportunities in local food production. So, so this is really positive and we want to follow up on that. And the third one is a very incipient conversation with young people uh, that we managed to open up by attracting them to, to Glasgow. Um, and I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can build on these things. For me, if there's one message to take away from COP26, it's Ivan's comment about Glasgow being recorded in history as the moment the people came to the COP. This fills my heart with love and hope. Time and time again, we see people enacting positive change for themselves, which is surely the most sustainable form of change there is. It's too easy to fall into a state of climate anxiety. And I believe the remedy for this is to build regional community resilience. Which brings us right back to the Highland Good Food Partnership, a collective of people across the Highlands working together to do just that, create a truly local food system. So let's hear from the Highland Good Foods coordinator, Katrina Ferguson, who was in Glasgow for the duration of the COP and who helped record and document the Global Dialogue. Hi Katrina, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Um, for those listening who don't know who you are, could you just start by briefly introducing yourself please? Uh, yeah, so I'm Katrina, I'm the Highland Good Food Partnership Coordinator and I'm involved in loads of different things at the partnership, uh, yeah, like strategy, where we're going, um, communicating what we're up to, and helping out on the different project groups that we've got going. Um, yeah, so loads of different things. And you were at the COP for the duration of the conference, weren't you, for the whole two weeks? And did you go to lots of events? Yes, um, I didn't go to any of the Blue Zone events. So I just went to like the People's COP. Okay. It was called, um, which were loads of different events happening all over Glasgow. And so when you think about at the COP um, and also reflecting now that the COP's passed, 
can you, I'd love to hear about your experience. Could you please share with us a little of what left you feeling optimistic? Um, should we start there? With what left you feeling optimistic? The main thing, I guess, that made me feel optimistic um, while I was at these People Cop events and hearing people's discussions there, um, yeah, it, I just felt like people were really talking about the intersectionality of the climate crisis. Like people were talking about how class and the climate crisis intersect. They were talking about how race and climate crisis intersect. And, and people were talking about justice and the inequalities that are exasperated by the climate crisis and how it's going to be affecting different people in different ways. You know, you know, sometimes the climate crisis is often framed as a physical thing. You know, people talk about droughts and fires and weather patterns, but some of it, so much of it is societal and, and political. Um, and, you know, we're already seeing that communities that are the least responsible for the causes of climate change are suffering the most. Like um, indigenous communities around the world. Exactly. Um, so I, I was left feeling optimistic that these kind of conversations were happening. Um, because I, I, I just I think they're so so important so it sounds like at the people's cop at the people's conference there was a whole systems approach being taken yeah well that was my only experience but it really you know because I didn't go to any of the official events but it, it it did it did have that it did have that feeling which was amazing and um what about when we think about uh feelings of frustration and outrage and you can see where the challenges are that aren't being dealt with. Could you tell us a bit about your experience and your reflections on that part of it? Mm. Yeah, I found so many things frustrating. Okay. I've thought about this quite a lot and, and maybe just wanted to give one example because I think it, it shows a lot of the issues um, as well. But I went to a couple of talks about soil carbon markets um, and obviously we need to sequester carbon and there's huge potential for our soils to be able to do that. And like this is internationally recognised. And for example, ahead of COP, the Scottish government signed up to the Four in a Thousand Pledge, which started at COP21, so the COP in Paris, which is to boost carbon storage in agricultural soils by 0.4% a year. So that's where the Four in a Thousand comes from. Um, and it's not that I have an issue with the on-the-ground practice when it comes to soil carbon sequestration, you know, the practices are good, like increasing permanent pasture or reducing tillage or, you know, planting more cover crops. These are good things. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's good to see it just through the lens of carbon. And these okay. kind of practices are, you know, they have great benefit for biodiversity and things like that. But the thing that frustrated me was more thinking about the unregulated markets when it comes to these when it comes to soil carbon and the lack of measurement that is happening with third party companies that are selling these carbon credits. So they just often don't account for additional carbon emissions or they don't specify the depth of like soil cores that are taken to measure the carbon sequestered. And because it is unregulated and there are a huge lack of standards there, I find it alarming that it's being like touted as a nature-based solution at COP26 and I find I th personally think it's a sign that we're kind of scrabbling to find solutions that are not necessarily and not currently fit for purpose um, and I, I do find it quite scary. What I'm hearing is that it's like 
um, it's been separated out into its own little market rather than being linked into a whole system, which is what we were talking about before, seeing as a whole system. Yeah, um, and but it's going to affect like land markets as well in the same way that um, planting trees for carbon sequestration has affected who's buying land to plant trees as well. I, I, I think that it's also going to happen with, with farmland as well. And I think that it'll happen in areas where land is cheap and sure. quite, quite possibly in places where people are feeling the brunt of the climate crisis just now. And um, so that, that, yeah, that was the thing that I felt very frustrated about. Yeah, understandably. And that actually links back to some conversations that I've had with people in the Highland Good Food Partnership. And on the last episode, part one of our COP Reflections, um, the access to land being a real barrier to um, local sustainable food systems. So that, to me, that all links together. Mm. Um, who's, who's owning the land is very important. From, for many, many reasons. Yeah, totally. Do you have any other reflections to share with us? Um, maybe now the COP is over, anything you're feeling particularly optimistic or outraged about now that the, the conference has passed? Yeah, so I guess if I think about what I felt optimistic about at the COP, it was the nature of the conversations uh, and you know, people talking about things like climate justice um, so I suppose relating that to my work at Helen Goodfood, I'm thinking, are we having conversations about food justice? Are we having conversations about political and societal issues when it comes to food? And I'm optimistic because I think we are, and we're looking at, you know, the provision of local food and the provision of lo like healthy food and improving people's diets and health. Yeah. So I think this work is really necessary, important, and it's definitely happening up here. Something that I felt quite sad and I guess outraged about was the recent uh, statistic from the Scottish, Scottish Health Survey. And they're saying that 8% of people in Highland are currently worried about where their next meal comes from. 8%? 8% of people are living in a state of food insecurity. And yeah, wow. that, that makes me feel really outraged. Yeah. Yeah, I'm optimistic that we're working. Um, yeah, I'm working with an amazing network of people that are are looking to change that. Absolutely. So you brought it right back to the local level, to the Highlands of Scotland, and the work that the Highland Good Food Partnership are doing, and um, through these conversations, reflecting on the conversations that we had in the COP, um, there's a lot of work to be done. I think we can all agree on that. The key point for me, what I've heard through all of these conversations, is is, is it starts with community and that certainly is where the partnership starts. It's now over a hundred days since COP26 happened in Glasgow and I think we can all agree that there's still a lot of work to do regarding climate change and our food systems. But what I'm left feeling optimistic about, having been in conversation with a number of local dialogue facilitators, is the power of dialogue. Inclusive and respectful conversations between everyone involved in food, which means all of us. So to join the Highland Good Food conversation, you can go to highlandgoodfood.scot or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I'd like to finish this episode by thanking Ivan and Katrina for sharing their experiences and reflections. And to all of you for listening. 
until the next podcast when we'll be bringing the conversation back to the Scottish Highlands and what's happening in our local communities. Bye for now.